Remain standing for the reading of Scripture you'll find in the Epistle of James, verses 13 through 18. James 3, beginning in verse 13, let us hear and attend to the Word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. The theme of godly wisdom in the epistle of James provides a new covenant interpretive key to Old Testament wisdom writings. While there are literary and subject similarities between Old Testament wisdom literature and non-biblical ancient wisdom traditions, Old Testament wisdom claims covenantal identity as sourced from the Lord and understood by a supernatural intersect, uh, interaction of faith demonstrated in revealed worship and life as is expressed and, and summarized over and over, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's something very important to know um, because oftentimes it seems that uh, Old Testament wisdom literature is confused or approached on a horizontal level, and I'll explain that in a moment. The supernaturally revealed and covenantally engaged wisdom of God, as James says, is from above in contradiction to the wisdom from below. Understanding these two orientations of wisdom, either heavenly or worldly, is often missed in considering Old Testament wisdom writings. Perhaps the most helpful application of the difference between wisdom from above and wisdom from below is to recognize more and more the mediating ministry of Jesus Christ for sanctified transforming of our hearts and our mind and our soul and our body. Uh, I want us to focus on that and to recognize that, that, that it's through God's means of grace and as he has ordained preaching as was prayed uh, um, in ju just a few moments ago about God sanctifying the preaching, that that is through God's means of grace that we are more deeply impressed and are formed in our mind and thought and affects what we say and how we live. And that is the process of sanctification, being set apart from the struggle of temptation and corruption, resisting temptation, fighting against the corruption that God identifies is of the flesh. And more and more being set apart to and set aside to God's holiness and and thinking, as James is going to say, how we ought to think and how that thinking affects its way and what we say in the words. James has a lot to say about the mouth and about the words uh, that we use and how that translates into the way we live. Don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Connected together in the sanctifying power of Christ mediating to us the wisdom of God, thinking God's way, the word of God taking root and bearing fruit 
in our lives, living by faith, worshiping God in the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And the reason I say that this is often missed when it comes to Old Testament wisdom literature, I'm going to try to illustrate that this morning in in showing the Proverbs application from what James says. James is full of Old Testament wisdom literature, uh, as we've made mention before and given some examples. But oftentimes people approach Old Testament wisdom literature, let's take for example Proverbs, and they approach it on a horizontal level. They think that it gives us observations about life. And oftentimes these observations about life are made into an absolute in terms of a a moral um, uh, perspective. And the problem there is that we see oftentimes there there are uh, inconsistencies. And oftentimes the wisdom literature tells us how it ought to be. And sometimes it tells us what to expect in the world and the way that unbelievers operate and the way they think and what they say and how they act. It warns us against that, but oftentimes we see that there are inconsistencies. It doesn't seem to work out the way that that these statements or these observations are made, and it's because we take them out of their place. We want to make them some kind of moral absolutes and say that this is always the way the world operates. And the scriptures are telling us, no, don't you understand? The world is broken because of sin. And so the world doesn't operate the way it ought to operate in terms of God's order. But that from a vertical relationship, by faith, we recognize that the world doesn't have the last word. That's how we're to approach the wisdom literature of Scripture and all Scripture as revelation from God. It tells us that God has the last word. And we're to embrace that by faith, which is oftentimes a challenge to us because it's inconsistent if it's not outright contradictory to what we see with our eyes. We don't see things the way they ought to be with our eyes. And so God is telling us why, and he's telling us by faith how we are to be wise and to see through this world. And so James gives us this interpretive key to the wisdom of God revealed in Scripture, and he compares that and contrasts it. He says it's a contradiction between wisdom from below and wisdom from above. So what I'm telling you is that wisdom from above as represented by Old Testament wisdom literature and all of God's revealed scripture, but specifically Old Testament wisdom literature as an example, is covenantally identified for the Old Covenant believer and for us today. It had to be supernaturally interpreted and revealed. It had to be covenantally engaged by faith, believing what God said and resisting the temptations of the flesh, what we see, what we hear, what we experience, as overruling us in our judgment and therefore not living on the level of the horizontal of the world do unto others before they do unto you but living in vertical relationship with God by faith do unto others as you would have them do unto you even when it costs you something even when you don't receive in return respect or honor even when you are persecuted You pray for those who persecute you. So this is where we engage with faith. And I think that uh, we have some good examples this morning, I hope so, uh, from the book of Proverbs making application to us of what James warns and what James enjoins us here in terms of wisdom from below and wisdom from above. Wisdom from below is the mind of the flesh. 
And James starts out in verse uh, 14 by saying, if you have bitter envy, this bitter envy, and you can see I've given you some notes there to elaborate, this bitter envy or jealousy is, is James' description of a sharp and embittered resentment against others, an envy or a jealousy of others that is burning. The, the word uh, envy or jealousy means uh, zeal. And it's rooted in the idea of that which is burning and consumed. Someone who is consumed with an embittered spirit of resentment focused towards someone else. And James warns us about this. He says, this is from below. This is not owned of God. This is, doesn't come from the Spirit of God. This comes out of the flesh. And this is the way the world is characterized. And here's what we read in Proverbs, uh, taking some examples uh, and I won't give you the I'm giving you the Proverbs references uh, in in the notes, but here just just hear the Proverbs. An immoral mouth is smoother than oil, but the end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So there, the idea of the the bitter sharpness and the uh, resentment are brought together, where it's disguised by uh, 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 smooth words. But the end result of that is manifest in that embitteredness and that uh, destruction, that, that piercing of someone's resentment. And then again, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a, a sharp arrow. So the idea, once again, of where that festering resentment, that festering envy and jealousy bring themselves out in that embittered uh, uh, focus in trying to destroy someone, a neighbor, in terms of like, it's like using a club or a sword or a, sh a sharp arrow to pierce through them. Uh, powerful descriptions about what James says is wisdom from below and the way the world operates. And the flesh, giving ourselves to the flesh, not resisting and fighting against that. James is writing to Christian believers here in the church. And he says, you've got to fight against this. He goes on to say that wisdom from below is self-seeking. You may have a marginal note in your Bible. The, the idea, the, the word here used, self-seeking, carries with it the notion of strife and stirring up trouble, being contentious. Uh, it, it's also used in, in the sense of a gang leader or someone who is a self-promoter who wants to get their agenda through, someone who has their agenda and they're able to enlist and engage others in pursuing their agenda for their selfish ambition. Uh, and I think gang leader is a really good example of what the word uh, connotes. But here, uh, giving illustration of that from the book of Proverbs is a wrathful man stirs up strife. Someone who is unsettled, someone who is not peaceable, someone who is self-seeking is always stirring up strife. But he who is slow to anger allays contentions. It's more about trying to remove the conflict. And then he who loves transgression loves strife. Those who are set on um, transgressing God's law and constantly fighting against the will of God are those who love to stir stuff up. They stir up strife. He who exalts his gate seeks destruction. The one who is self-seeking wants to build himself up in his self-glory and getting others to follow him is really setting himself up for his own destruction because there will be those who follow him who want to knock him off the pedestal to get his place 
It's a way of the world. It's the way of the world. And it's not to be the way of Christian believers. We're not to be stirring up trouble and self-seeking and trying to get our own agenda always advanced. James goes on to say that wisdom from below boasts. Now you know the idea of boasting here. You probably know people who are like this, who are always tooting their own horn, who uh, uh, are self-glorifying, always talking about how great they are and, and how they're the best at everything. And so this boasting is to rejoice against, to put oneself over others. I'm better than you. And, and that, of course, is a common practice in the world in which we live. That's the way you only advance. You're told that unless you advance yourself, unless you promote yourself, no one's going to do it for you. And I'm not talking about working hard and, and making your recognition known for you worked hard and want to advance and that kind of thing. I'm talking about pride and arrogance and self-boasting that I'm better, that I will step on others. I will destroy others to show that I'm better. And it's a, a warning that comes throughout Scripture. But in Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. I think you can hear how contradictory that is to the way of the world. And then again in Proverbs, It is good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he has gone away, then he boasts. You know what the idea here is, don't you? A cheater. Someone who takes pride in the fact that they were able to cheat somebody out of something, of its worth. Oh, that's worthless. That's not worth that much. That's of no good. Now, that could be about... Uh, a purchase, or it could be about someone's character, someone who gains allegiance by defaming the character of others. And so it's the way of the world, the one who boasts and is a self-promoter. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth, says the Proverbs, and, and James reflects on that as well. Don't say we'll go here or there tomorrow or next year. Say if God wills. So, James says this boasting, this self-promotion, this self-glory, this, this attempt to uh, step on others to advance yourself, to gain power, is the way of the world. It's wisdom from below. He goes on to say also a lie. Lying is the way of the world. The lying here is untruth, but it's intentional falsehood or deception. It doesn't just mean that we're mistaken. We sometimes make mistakes, don't we? we? We sometimes tell what we know about something and, and sometimes our information is wrong. That's not what this is about. This is not about limited information or us not being encyclopedic in our knowledge of everything or our opinions. This is about intentional deception to defraud others. And so Proverbs says, A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. And you know the scriptures uh, have a lot to say about intentional deception and deceit. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. What about that within your own household? If you pay attention to lies, does that engender in your household wickedness? People who then want to play the game and say, oh, by doing this I can gain an advantage or I'll operate the way you operate with uh, deceit and in, uh, intentional defrauding. So these things strike to us very directly in the way that we live and the way that we live with others. 
James then tells us that the source of this wisdom from below is earthly, sensual, and demonic. He says that's where it comes from. He says that it's earthly. That means it's earthbound. It's not from above. It it, it is not um, supernatural as received from God. It's the way the world operates. It's earthbound. And it's based, he's going to go on to say, in terms of the sensual and the demonic, it has other sources that feed into it. So when he says that it's earthbound here uh, in Proverbs, we read that wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. But the eyes of a fool, and remember a fool in Scripture is not a silly person. A fool is one who is morally crooked. All right, The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. So wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding uh, presented to us in terms of it's attainable. Wisdom is right in front of the one who will follow God's truth. Someone who understands the word of God, God says, I give you that wisdom. It's right in front of you. What did James say? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God's not uh, stingy. He gives it uh, liberally and without uh, reproach. God doesn't scorn you and say, oh, you're not smart enough. God says, wonderful, wonderful. You want more wisdom? It's right in front of you. Understanding is right in front of you. It's kind of like walking with a flashlight. Step where where the light is. And you take a step and then there's more light to guide your next step. I mean, in Proverbs, a light into our path and a lamp into our feet is the word of God. And so here, this wisdom, God says, his way through his word is approachable, is is right there in front of you for, for understanding. But then he makes the contrast, the eyes of the fool, of the one who rejects God's counsel are on the ends of the earth. They never lift above the horizon. They're always looking out, dreaming of how they can get the next advantage. Now, the idea here is not about being imaginative or being creative. It's not about um, wanting to be inventive. That's not what this is about. This is about a moral perception of someone who is always looking past to the next advantage. Have you ever talked to someone and maybe had a handshake with them, and they're looking right past you. They're looking at somebody else they want to actually talk to. And that's sort of the idea here of the, the eyes of the fool. They're on the ends of the earth. They're, they're looking right past to whoever and whatever will give them the advantage as they see it as an earthly advantage. And so James goes on to say not only is the source of this wisdom from below Earthly, it's also sensual. Now, we sometimes misunderstand that word. Uh, It's sometimes translated unspiritual or natural. It's actually the root word for soul. And it, it, it means that which is limited to human experience and human consciousness. What What is limited to your senses? What you can see, what you can hear, what you can smell, what you can touch, you know. So everything is only true that's validated by your particular experience or by your consciousness. Now, Scripture says us that's not viable. There are truths beyond what can be validated by our human senses. There is more that is real than what we can simply prove by our own uh, existence or by our own senses. And so that's what James is saying here is that that, um, wisdom from below is earthbound and it's tied up by the human consciousness and experiences that says that's all that can be known and i want you to listen to proverbs here as it engages the human senses 
in terms of worldly wisdom. A worthless, destructive person, a person of Belial. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. A wicked man. An, an evil, a person that's set on ungodliness. What does he do with his senses? He walks with a perverse mouth, with crooked speech. He winks with his eye. He shuffles or signals or scrapes along with his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. Isn't that powerful how, how Proverbs describes for us someone who is sensual in their wisdom from below, who is given to all their senses to try to get by and to try to outdo others? And all I can think about here is the way of the world in terms of how people try to show that they're better than others in terms of the way they live out, the claims that they make. They're crooked in their speech. They're always trying to make deals or try to get by or, or try to, to uh, persuade people with the winking of their eye, with their, their false face, the shuffling or the signaling with their feet. Have, have you ever seen a child that uh, is uh, guilty and they shuffle with their feet and they, they telegraph their dishonesty? And what about this pointing with a finger? Immediately, all I can think of gang signs. Of course, it means more than that. But all these gestures, all these body language descriptions are what James is saying are sourced in human experience and human consciousness. And it's not sufficient. As a matter of fact, it can be very corrupt. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul. Here, the Proverbs uses another activity of our senses to eat. But it's using it of a, 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 and applying it to a spiritual benefit. The righteous one eats. What are they wanting to um, nourish themselves with? For the satisfying of the soul. That's why we're told to, to drink the word of God, to eat the word of God, the bread of life. The healthy words of God go down into the, to the soul it like good food goes into the body. Those wonderful analogies that Scripture makes. And so the proverb says to us that a righteous person wants to nourish themselves in their soul by what they take in. Jesus said it's not what goes into your, to your stomach. It's what goes into your heart. And so the rest of that proverb is, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. And again, using a physical analogy that the stomach of the wicked is never satisfied. They always want more. They always want something better. They never have enough. It's never good enough for them. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. So we are to engage body, soul, mind, and spirit. It matters how we live in our body. It matters how we point with our finger or how we speak with our mouth. It matters how we walk and where we go. Uh, you know that Scripture uses the term walk as a characteristic of life. And so it matters. And James goes on to say not only is this wisdom from below earthbound and tied up and limited to human conscience and experience, but he also says it's demonic. This is really a challenging word here. Uh, the idea is really it's demon-like, not demon-possessed. So what James is saying is that wisdom from below is like the demons. What did the demons do? As angels, they rebelled against God. 
They followed the arch rebel, the Satan. And that's what James is saying here, is that wisdom from below falls in with the devil and follows him. It follows the devil's influences, like the, bound, uh, like the demons who are warring and rebelling against God's created and moral boundaries. So here's where I want to return back to that term in Proverbs, a disreputable witness. In other words, a witness of Belial scorns justice. And the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. And whoever robs his father or his mother and says it is no transgression, the same person is companion to the destroyer. Well, the Hebrew wicked, evil one, or Belial, and the Hebrew for destroyer are associated with the devil. Being like the devil in rebellion against God. And that's what Jesus said. What did he say the devil was? He was a liar from the beginning. He's a murderer. He is the arch enemy of Christ. He is a real created being. He does not share the attributes of God. But the chief of the league of the devils, or the demons, he is in rebellion against God. And that's what James is saying here, is that wisdom from below follows the path of the devil. It follows the path of rebellion, of constantly pushing and warring against God's created and moral boundaries. We see it all around us. It's to be like Belial, a wicked person who scorns justice and yet who gobbles up and devours iniquity. The world wants to constantly be eating the delicacies more and more. Give me more iniquity. I want to eat it up. You think I'm not telling the truth? <laughs> you just pay attention to uh, social media, the words of uh, popular music and of the television programs and the agendas that they are promoting. It's all of the devil. I'm not saying there aren't good use of technology. Technology is not the problem. It's wisdom from below and our being influenced by it that is the problem. You cannot just turn on popular music of whatever style you like and listen to it unfiltered. It will have a corrupting influence on you. If you watch television shows ad nauseum that constantly are promoting every ungodly agenda of gobbling up iniquity and of currently... Uh, mainly the moral, the immoral agenda of um, homosexuality and of transgenderism, warring against God's boundaries. You need to see it as immoral. You know what the word iniquity, not equal to God's holiness. And so James is saying, like the devil, wisdom from below just gobbles up the iniquity of the world in rebellion against God and His boundaries and His standards. When God says, no, that's wrong. No, that's not approved. No, that is not pleasing to me. No, that does not honor me. No, that's not the way I created it to be. If you go along with the world, you're going along with the devil. And I have something to ask you. Why was Jesus revealed? Why was Jesus made known 
This is what John writes in 1 John. Jesus was manifest. Jesus was made known to destroy the works of the devil. You can read it in 1 John. Do you believe Jesus destroyed the works of the devil? So who are you going to be in league with? The devil or Jesus? Whose wisdom are you going to seek? Wisdom from below that follows the devil? Or wisdom from above that comes from God? James goes on then to say from the source of this ungodly wisdom from below that along with the self-seeking and the boasting and the lying, he says confusion or disorder results. Here, the idea of confusion and disorder is that of instability, commotion, causing a tumult, a troublemaker. The idea here of confusion and disorder is that of a troublemaker. And in Proverbs we read a worthless or a destructive, again, a person of Belial, a person who follows the devil, is a person of wickedness, a wicked person with perverted heart devises evil. They stir up trouble. They're continually sowing discord. That's how James characterizes for us the outworking of wisdom from below and how it even gets into Christian communities. Christian churches, Christian families, among Christians, is because people are are continually stirring up discord and are troublemakers. They need to be noted. The apostle says, note a person who walks disorderly and don't let them influence others. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain, Proverbs says, gains trouble to his own household. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, stirs up trouble. But he who hates bribes will live. So here again, he's given an example that starts even in our home and the way we live. And the idea here is whether someone is just a constant troublemaker. And then James uh, goes on to say, by way of conclusion, he gives us sort of a a catch-all and summary expression here, every evil thing. Now, I think it's really interesting. When you look at the the, uh, original Greek of the every evil thing that is uh, translated here, uh, sometimes it's translated every vile practice. But you know what it literally means? All kinds of rotten pragmatism. (laughs) Pan fulon pragma. All kinds of rotten pragmatism. Now you know what rotten is, don't you? You ever had a rotten onion in your fridge? (laughs) I remember, I may have told you this before, but I remember working on a truck farm that belonged to my uh, uncle when I was growing up. Uh, I was in my teens, like 13 to 16, I I worked on the the truck farm. And um, I remember distinctly some of the grossest (laughs) experiences. Maybe one of the worst was cutting cabbage. I'd have to go out in the cabbage field and you had to grab the head of cabbage and cut it off the stalk and put it in the uh, bin the tractor was pulling. You know, when you hit a rotten cabbage, it looked nice on top, leaves were green, but when you grabbed it, your hand sunk into rotten mush and it released a fragrance (laughs) that was rotten. Oh, man, I just about knocked you over. And so James is writing here about rotten pragmatism. You know what pragmatism is? 
It's that notion that we do whatever works. Any way we can get our um, desire. Anything that works. Whatever works for you. Have you heard that phrase? Whatever works for you. No, James says it's rotten pragmatism to the Christian and in the Christian church. All kinds of rotten pragmatism comes from listening to the world and following the truisms of the world. The world said, oh, this is the way the world operates. This is the way it is. You've got to have a church. It's got to be like a business. You've got to have the bottom line in mind. You've got to have your agenda. You've got to push it through. All these things that James says are of the world and of the devil and are falling in line with the human experience and human consciousness rather than listening to the voice of God and even doing that which the world says will ruin you. We must obey God first and follow God's wisdom and God's truth and in our conscience have a good heart answered. Lord, we have been faithful. We obeyed you. Look, the things that I have said this morning you can understand. We know the difference. So the Proverbs warns us about this rotten pragmatism. Proverbs says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. A righteous man who falters before or goes along with the wicked is like a murky or a muddy, the Hebrew is a trampled spring, someone who is just trampled in the spring and just made it corrupt and, and stirred up with trash. And it goes on to describe a polluted well, a poisoned well. And then we're going to close with this this morning. I didn't even get to wisdom from above. But Proverbs says the six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. This enumeration is a way of summarizing. And note how it is that uh, Proverbs summarizes the very things that James has been warning about in terms of wisdom from below. Six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Remember self-glory, pride, boasting. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to evil. And a false witness that speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now I would encourage you to take particularly that last reference in uh, Proverbs 6, and you could see how here there is a summary and that how James has elaborated and has interacted with the Proverbs, and particularly even this passage, in relationship to the wisdom that is from below and how detrimental it is. How unpleasing to the Lord it is. How far away we as Christian believers should stay from it. And how we need to be rightly warned to resist it. That's why James writes about resisting temptation. And about not going along with the world and the ways of the world. This is wisdom from God about not listening to or following along with the purported wisdom of the world. Oh, look, this is the way you have to live. This is the way it must be. You've got to get along in the world. You've got to do it this way. And yet, Scripture says, no, you don't. You have to resist evil. You must de deny temptation. You must fight against the flesh. You must die to self. But those are all contradictions to what the world is constantly trying to persuade us of. 
And so, beloved, I don't want you to listen to the world. I want you to listen to the truth and the wisdom of God. Um, I don't know how we didn't get through the second part. I just don't get it. <laughs> but you can see that spirit or wisdom from above, the mind of the spirit, in verse 17, uh, James says things that are uh, similar to what Paul writes about the fruit of the spirit or what Jesus writes in terms of the Beatitudes. Um, and so we're going to look at that. I, we'll look at it again next week. What do we have to be in a hurry for? We'll come back. I want you to see and hear from the Proverbs about wisdom from above. It's a good application. It's a good way of learning more and having a right view on the wisdom literature of God. And I believe that James does give us an interpretive key in terms of the mediation of Christ and a, a supernatural relationship and an orientation of faith to believe what the Word of God says in resisting what our senses and our consciousness to the world's um, denying and resisting what God says. We, we need to be informed and be strong in the faith, fed upon and built up by the wisdom of God and His truth. So we'll return to wisdom from above, the mind of the Spirit, in verse 17 and 18 next, next week. Our concluding hymn.